Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by AMS Media. It's another edition of The Social Club. We are back. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and it's another edition of The Social Club, sponsored by tvsportsblog.com. Head over there, check it out. Lots of fantastic content from the world of sport uh, covering a variety of subjects, so please do head over there and check them out. Now, I am delighted to be joined by a very, very special guest um, on this week's edition. Um, he's a lifelong gooner. He's a former actor. Well, he still is an actor. You never lose it, do you? Um, he's a writer. He's done everything. He's absolutely brilliant, and I'm delighted to say that uh, I'm very thankful to him for his support when I was uh, getting my my first book published. Massive thank you and a massive welcome, most importantly, to the one and only Mr. Tom Watt. How you doing, mate? Welcome to the show. I'm all right. Yeah, I think I'll pack it in now, though, because it's downhill from here, mate. You've done the big build-up <laughs> now. It's only going downhill from here. <laughs> it's all right. The build-up was fully worth it, mate. You fully deserve it. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to come on and join us. It, it really is appreciated. No, it's first of all, working. Don't worry about that. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. <laughs> First of all, Tom, um, how yeah. have you been coping with the lockdown and, and, and how you been getting on with all of that? I'll be honest, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I just feel like quite fortunate, really. I got finished with a, a four part documentary series just before lockdown started. Obviously, documentary series, that's quite social. Do you know what I mean? You're filming, you're editing, it's with people all the time. And now since lockdown, really, I've had a couple of writing projects on a book and then some work for um, EA Sports on, on the FIFA game. And that's kind of pretty chocker, really. That's sort of all day, every day on the pair of them. So it's almost felt like, it, you know, I just feel like I've been lucky, really. I've got the right, I've got plenty of work, but more to the point, it's kind of, it's the right kind of work to be doing just now. Do you know what I mean? So kind of lucky like that, I guess. And there's other good stuff going on as well, to be fair. We've been uh, releasing some podcasts for um, Sporting Chance that I produced with uh, with Tony Adams. Um, so we've been releasing them Brilliant. during lockdown. So you can imagine, you know, people dealing with kind of recovery and addiction issues and stuff. Again, a lot of that is quite social. What you need to, you know, the support you need to access is quite social. And podcasts are something that can perhaps help even if it's just you on your lonesome, do you know what I mean? You can stick the headphones on, listen to someone telling their own story of recovery, and that. So that's been that's been good. Doing some work with um, helping Arsenal in the community with some of their home learning resources. So yeah, one way or another, it's it's been all right. And you find out all this stuff works as well, which I of course had no idea. I'd always I'd always gone uh, as a broadcaster. I always thought no, better if you don't know. If you, even if you know how the kit works, pretend you don't. Otherwise, you'll end up doing it. If you say you don't understand it, then someone <laughs> else will do it. But now I've had to get to understand it a bit. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Fantastic. Glad to hear that you're keeping busy and doing so many uh, great things as well that are so helpful to others as well. It's really uh, rewarding doing that type of work, as I'm sure you'll, you'll uh, agree. Um, 
the Premier League is uh, going to restart, apparently. 17th of June is the date that we've been given. Um, that's the plan. Of course, that is all subject to the safety measures being met, to the government uh, giving the green light, which they have at the moment. But of course, things could change. It's a very fluid situation. There's been a lot of debate amongst football fans in general as to whether or not bringing the Premier League back at this point is the right thing to do. Where do you stand on it, Tom? Um, when I when I can kind of rouse myself to take an interest, because to be honest, I struggle because um, it just feels like a kind of soap opera that increasingly has very little to do with me, to be perfectly honest. Look, I, yeah, I think we're all kind of grown ups here and we, we understand why the Premier League started again. It's not because football supporters are desperate to have football again. It's not because footballers are desperate to play football again. It's money. It's that, you know. Um, both the Premier League clubs and the broadcasters have bills to pay. In the case of the Premier League, the bills they have to pay are to the broadcasters. And for the broadcasters, it's to subscribers who, by and large, only pay for subscriptions to access live football. You know, that's been the way of it for the best part of 30 years now. You know, that live football is what sells satellite television and, um, you know, and, and football benefits from that. Um, but of course, if you can't provide what you've you're being paid to provide, then you find yourself in trouble. So I think that you know it's just really it's kind of it's it's money basically um, that's deciding what happens now, and um, it's the money that decides what happens now. And because of that, that's really why I kind of struggle to take an interest. Um, because I don't really think it's about football or about the game or about it, it's just about people paying the bills. To be honest, what I do follow rather more closely is what's going on outside the Premier League, um, because I think particularly in League One, League Two and in the National League, where I watch a lot of football and I've got a lot of mates uh, at clubs that I suppose you call them lower league level. And, you know, for clubs there, yes, it's about money there as well. But the argument is about whether clubs survive or perish. And so the question has a little bit more, you know, I kind of look around the Premier League and I look at the ownership, ownerships, be they individual or group ownerships up and down the Premier League. And I think you can probably wear this all right. Do you know what I mean? You get down into League Two and the National League where, you know, players are having to be laid off, they're having to be furloughed, they're, you know, what happens in on the 30th of June when their contracts are up. So those are allowed to, uh, a lot of the players who literally won't be able to pay the mortgage um, as soon as their contracts expire and clubs won't be able to continue that without, because of course the difference is, is that for Premier League football to survive and prosper, what they need is people watching on telly. Financially, they don't need people in the stadiums. You know what I mean? That the, yeah. the only reason why they want people in the stadiums is because it's a better spectacle for the television viewing audience. Now, you go outside the Premier League, you go sort of probably halfway down the Premier, halfway down the Championship and below. Well, everything is about supporters in the ground. So, without that, where does the future lie? And, and for me. You know, the, the fact that there are kind of 100 professional clubs in this country and that, you know, towns as small as Cheltenham or Fleetwood or Grimsby 
can sustain professional or have sustained professional football clubs for however long is really what's I think is what's unique and what I treasure in English football. It's yeah. not really the Premier League. Much as I, I, you know, much as I love watching Premier League football, much as I love watching the Arsenal, don't get me wrong, I love all that. But really, if you look at the bigger picture, it's not, it's it's not about survival or extinction. And in the lower leagues, it is. And and I think that you lose clubs in those smaller communities, smaller clubs that kind of may only represent the sort of hopes and dreams of four or five thousand people every other Saturday. So those four or five thousand people, they're as important as Manchester United are to United fans or Arsenal is to Arsenal fans, maybe even more important. So to lose those is a much greater issue for me than whether or not the Premier League is going to play against them. Yeah, you, you make some fantastic points. And I think I've learned since I've obviously moved into the sort of the world of journalism and I've been, you know, I've been covering a lot of championship league one clubs, um, which is something that I wouldn't have necessarily taken as much of an interest in previously. I've come to realize how dedicated those fan bases are. I've come to realize how much that those clubs mean to local communities and how important they are to the area as well. And, and you're absolutely right. You make a great point. It, it may only represent the dreams of four or 5,000 people, like you said, but those four or 5,000 people are fully invested and probably more invested than some of the, the you know, the global support that some of these premier well, league clubs have. They go um, every week. They go every week. They actually, exactly. what the money they hand over at the turnstile every other Saturday is what keeps their club alive. So invested is actually quite a good word for it, Harry. They are literally invested. Every time they walk through a turnstile, they're paying the players' wages directly. And every time they don't go, or at the moment, every time they can't go, the club, the club's actual existence is under threat. So, uh, you know, that's something that kind of um, catches my imagination and engages me sort of emotionally in a way that, to be perfectly honest, the kind of the Premier League, I'm not sure it, it does in the same way. Yeah, you make some fantastic points. You're absolutely right. It is um, it is a, a different world and it's a world that unfortunately is sometimes overlooked by Premier League fans, I want to say, or fans of the yeah, that, so-called big club. Yeah, but that's fine. I, it's not, I, I'm not kind of doing, I'm not doing some weird kind of football virtue sing, signaling here. I'm not saying, oh, you know, you've got to look at look at these clubs because it's just like I actually kind of I'm bothered. I actually like I, I really like going to watch lower league football. I love going to Barney. I love going to Cheltenham Town. I love going to you know wherever Wickham Wanderers. I love football at that level. I you know I just you know I love being able to go and stand behind the goal and have a laugh with my mates um, for fifteen quid a hit. Do you know what I mean? I, I like all that. So it, it matters to me. That's not, I'm not saying, oh, it's got to matter to everybody because obviously it's not for me to say. People take what they, and I'm not saying one's better than the other. It's just I'm saying that um, it matters to me. Um, and uh, and that's why I'm kind of more concerned about what's going to happen in the lower leagues than I am what's going on in the Premier League just at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And and the the lower league teams are a lot more vulnerable in a situation like this. And so you're 100%. right to have that yeah, yeah. concern. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, do you get down to the Arsenal much nowadays? Are you still sort oh, yeah, of yeah. 
well, yeah. not at the moment. <laughs> yeah, well, not at the moment. Yeah. It's been for a while. Oh no, no, don't get me wrong. I still go and watch Arsenal and all of that. I mean, you know, and and kind of just read and consume everything about the club and try and help out when I can. Particularly, you know, I've been involved with the community department at Arsenal for, you know, for. Oh, for a long time shall we say let's not put too far so no absolutely absolutely it's just i've you know i've just over the years i've kind of taken and it's a completely different thing going to watch lower league football is a completely different thing and so i've just got involved in that it's almost as a different thing you know going to watch going to watch non-league or lower league football is a completely different experience than going to watch premier league football similar to that and i'm not saying I wouldn't try to say to anybody one is better than the other. I wouldn't say, you know, you should do this rather than do that. I'm living proof you can do both, you, you know, and what you can, what you get from them is different. It's different. Yeah. You know, if, if you went to lower league football and expected it to be like watching Premier League football, then you'd be going, well, <laughs> you'd be disappointed, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But then again, if you go to Arsenal, you can't just turn up there. 10 minutes before kickoff, pay on the gate, meet up with the people who you know are going to be standing in around the same place and have a right laugh um, and shout and know that the players can actually hear what you're shouting when they come down to take the corner at the home end. <laughs> it's just a different thing. Do you know what I mean? It's just a different thing. Absolutely. It is indeed. Um, Tom, Mikel Arteta took over Arsenal in December um, yeah. after things went a little bit south for Unai Emery. Um, people that listen to this podcast will know I was never Unai Emery's biggest fan, not because I didn't want him to succeed. I just, I struggled to buy into to what he was doing um, as a supporter, as a fan. I think communication was an issue for Unai Emery in the sense that uh, perhaps he maybe couldn't get his ideas across as eloquently as he would have liked. And maybe that worked against him in terms of fan opinion. But Arteta's come in. I've been impressed by the way Arteta has conducted himself so far. I know it's early days and then we've had this break in the season, which is uh, extremely unfortunate. But what have you made of Mikel Arteta's, I guess, first steps as the Arsenal boss? Well, I've got to say I'm a bit of a kind of fan anyway. Do you know what I mean? I, I liked him a lot as a player. I, I think he, um, I think if you look at his qualities as a player, um, they sort of reflected a bit in his, he was a player with integrity. Um, honest as the day is long, uh, incredibly professional about what he did. Um, in, very reliable, um, worked within his own, you know, understood, was humble enough to recognise his own shortcomings and to, to work inside them. Absolutely a team player. Do you know what I mean? And every now and again, he'd come up with something brilliant. Well, if that's how he is as a manager, then happy days. It's better with Arteta, as they say. Um, no, I, I think, and it's interesting that you mentioned communication because <clears throat> um, that was an issue. Whatever you say, it was an issue. Um, not all of Unai Emery's making to be perfectly honest, because I'm not sure that he ever was in a position where he felt that he could speak for the club. But there was this weird thing where he was, you know, very much the head coach and the club existed somewhere else. And so he was, he, uh, I don't think he was ever on very steady ground, as it were. Um, but what you've got to say is Mikel Arteta is a fantastic communicator. He's a fantastic communicator. And I think, you know, you want... You know, when you hear the manager talk and you can, well, you, you have to assume, don't you, that it's going to be 
it'll be different, obviously, but it'll be similar um, to how he communicates with the playing staff and the coaching staff and, and other people around the football club. Is You listen to Arteta and ask the question, he answers the question. Yeah. He speaks with honesty. Um, he thinks about what he says before he says it. Do you know what I mean? I just think he has all the qualities to, you know, he's, I actually, one of the hats I wear I mean, in recent years, I do quite a lot of media training. I mean, I train people to, uh, not not in football, outside football, actually, in, in, in the world of, of business and stuff. And you've got to put Mikel Arteta and you go, that's how to do it. Be clear yeah. about your message. Be honest. Be consistent. You know, be articulate. Don't keep talking when you've said what you've got to say. You know what I mean? And smile every now and again. He's bang yeah, on. Absolutely. So you've got to think he's like that with the players. So if you can communicate with supporters, you've got half chance. And I think he does communicate with supporters. I think people believe uh, Mikel, Mikel when he speaks. I think the chances are the players believe him when he speaks. And uh, given that that's the case, and given also that I think because of what happened with Unai, I think maybe Mikel probably sits in a slightly different relationship with the other people in power at the football club. I think he's probably in a slightly stronger position than, uh, than Unai Emery ever was. Um, that said, you know, we forget Unai Emery, you know, we went 20 games beaten last season um, and there were some great afternoons, you know. you got to say, you, it's like all the things that Unai Emery did wrong at the same time, you know, and all the kind of good evening business and all of that. But you got to say, Arsenal 4, Tottenham 2 in the derby, you know that the uh, Europa League semi-final, you got to say, you know, he did some good things. And arguably, if things work out with Mikel, you've got to say the best thing Unai Emery did was give Mikel the year and a half he needed before he was going to be ready for the Arsenal. I think it would have been very difficult for Mikel to come in straight off the back of Arsene Wenger. I think that extra year and a half he had of experience at, um, at City being given more responsibility, you know, just getting to understand how a successful team works, I think has probably been of great benefit to him. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I do. I'm, I, I'm, I'm optimistic about things with Arteta. Look, we've got a million miles to go. You know, you look at the, the playing staff, you look at recruitment over the last sort of, the last far too long. And you look at recruitment, you know, you look at last summer's recruitment. What? So, you know, we've got we've got a distance. You know, you look at the number of points that we are behind Man City, never mind behind Liverpool, and the number of points behind absolutely tells its story. And so, yes, I'm positive. But look, I've you know I've been lucky. I've seen Arsenal do a lot of things um, in in sort of your years of watching. So for me. Yes, I want to see Arsenal win games. Yes, I want to see Arsenal win trophies. But what I want to see more than anything is I want to see 11 of honest players actually giving everything for the club. 
And if I see that, particularly if I see that from young players who've come up through the ranks at the club, mate, I'll forgive a lot of shortcomings. I really will, you know. But but what I won't forgive is if I don't see that. If I don't see that. And, you know, there have been times when I think people have fallen short on that. And I don't just mean, I, I'm not just talking about this group of players. I mean, over the course of the last 10 years, I think there are people who have fallen short of of giving that badge what it deserves in terms of commitment and single-mindedness and, you know, humility. Um, and uh, we've somehow got to change that. And what I'm hoping more than anything is that Mikel is a guy who can change that attitude and change that culture and just, you know, so that you 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 feel like you're watching people who are proud to represent Arsenal and will do so to their last breath. You know what I mean? That's, and, and if that ain't good enough to win a particular game, if that ain't good enough to win a trophy, for me, an old geezer who's had the good fortune to see us win an awful lot of trophies over the years, well, that's fine by me. Yeah, great, great stuff, mate. Great stuff. I absolutely agree with you. And it's, for me, it, it, it comes down to that thing, what you said as well. It's about seeing the players going out there, giving everything. It's about seeing a manager who you can believe in and you can buy in. And you were absolutely right to make the point that Unai Emery did do some good things. Um, there were some good performances. There were some signs of progress at certain points during his tenure. Um, and I think that actually he, he was... A little bit unfortunate um, because had certain games, you know, one or two games gone a different way, then we would have been talking about a very successful season. Arsenal getting back in the Champions League, uh, went to a European final. So it was very fine mar margins with Unai Emery. But for me, I'm, I'm pleased to see that Arteta's got the reins now. I think you're, you make a great point about the extra experience at Manchester City. I think he needed that. Um, I think he's been very open himself about the fact that he didn't feel he was ready initially. He did have talks with Arsenal, but now he feels that he's at that point. Um, another yeah. person I just want to get your, your thoughts on uh, to round up is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And of course, there is lots of speculation about him moving on. Of course, uh, going into next season, he'll be in the final year of his contract. It's a problem that we've seen at Arsenal time and time again. Top players running down their contracts and then the club find themselves in a really difficult position where we're either stuck with a player in his final year who doesn't want to be there and we end up losing him for either, if not free, then cheaply. Um, where do you stand on this situation? You know, he's he's going to be 30 years old or he's 30 years old. Would you try and cash in on a Bamiyang or do you think he's that important that you just need to do what it takes to keep him? Um, well, I think that's, uh, you know, those, those problems with players, contracts running down and what have you is... Um, uh, that's, you know, that, to be fair, yes, you can talk about the individual players, but you also talk about, you know, the way the clubs run, that that should be allowed to happen over and over again, you know. Um, but we, we've tended in recent years to be very reactive to situations rather than kind of actively going out and saying, OK, so in two years' time, three years' time, we're going to have this issue. Let's deal with it now while there's not pressure on it and while there's not other people crowding around the trough, let's deal with this now. Well, we haven't done that. We've waited until it's become an issue and then we've sort of set about dealing with it. And in many cases, we've perhaps dealt with it, not for football reasons, but, you know, um, because people decided that 
supporters wanted this or that or, you know, for other reasons, the club needed this or that that weren't actually football reasons. Aubameyang, I mean, absolutely fantastic to watch. Um, a proper team player, an amazing finisher. I mean, funny enough, I did a, um, a podcast for Arsenal in the community with Tony Adams yesterday. And he said he thought, arguably, Aubameyang's better finisher than either Wright or Henri. You know, he looks at him and thinks, blimey, if he'd had 10 years at this club, he'd have gone past Thierry in terms of number of goals scored. Do you know what I mean? He just scores all sorts of goals. And, he, you know, he's, he's a great player. I think he's got a really good attitude. Um, I feel like he, you know, and I feel like he enjoys himself at Arsenal. But there's not, look, there's plenty of people who'd like Aubameyang in their team. Um, who's going to be off, able to offer him what Arsenal offers in terms of playing every week, of uh, being kind of top man and uh, all, that, all that goes with that. Um, he's not going to need to leave Arsenal for the money. If he leaves because he doesn't think Arsenal can win or at least compete for trophies, well, then you go, that's your judgment. All I'd say is a lot of people have done that. And my thing, I always come back, you know, the players who, you know, it's always the same line, isn't it? Oh, I just, you know, I had to I had to go somewhere to win stuff. And I go, well, you know, have a look, mate. You're part of the reason that we didn't win stuff. Because yeah. your head yeah. weren't, you know, we don't need no names, no pack drill. You know the kind of players we're talking about. It was like there was this kind of conveyor belt to, to Barcelona and places like that where people are, a kind of going, oh, well, I, I, I want to go and win stuff. And, you know, like, like it's everybody else's fault that we haven't won stuff, but not your fault somehow. You deserve to. Yeah. So let's see. Look, what Aubameyang does, Aubameyang does. I, I, I mean, I don't know about kind of what do you do to hang on to? What do you do? You, do, you, do you offer him more money? Do you offer him, you know, I, I shouldn't have thought there'd be a lot of clubs out there who will be offering Aubameyang at this stage a year out more than we're paying. Yeah. At this point, it won't be a financial thing. If it, if it goes another year and he can leave on a free, well, then, you know, then he's quids in and he, you know, just look at what's happened with Aaron Ramsey. Um, but at this stage, I don't know. Um, he's 30. Um, if he signs another contract with Arsenal, it will be his last contract you would think, mm -hmm. but I do think the bloke has got, I think he's got three or four seasons of at the absolute top of his ability. So I look at him, I look at him physically, Harry, and you know who he reminds me of? He, obviously, he's a completely different player, but I just, I look at him and he makes me think of Carnu. He's not got an ounce of fat on him. Do you know what I mean? He just... And Carney played till he was, what, 65? He's probably still playing some of the Carney. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, Aubameyang will, will be a top, top player. It's not like, oh, he's 30, get rid. Oftentimes, you would say that about a striker. 30 years old, yeah, let him move on. I think Aubameyang is at least three or four years behind the curve on that. I think he's he's got another three or four years as a top, top striker. And if that can be at Arsenal, then brilliant. Because I do look at him and I think he gets Arsenal. I think he gets it, you know. And for that reason, if no other, you know, the, the sight of him 
celebrating goals with, you know, uh, Saka and Martinelli. I, I just, I love that. I love what I see when I see that. Um, and that would be my kind of idea of, um, you know, a, a, I would feel that was a way forward for Arsenal. If you if you could kind of bottle that, but then, you know, football and oftentimes things aren't decided by players. They're not even decided by clubs. They're decided by intermediaries. So, yeah, exactly. Who knows what, who knows what exactly. that but also, you're absolutely right. It would be such a huge statement as well at a time when we're trying to rebuild to show that actually Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is the club captain at the moment, that he is involved in this for the long haul, that he does buy into Mikel Arteta and that will obviously help in going out there and getting uh, more top quality players in should the finances allow it. Um, Tom, thank you so, so much, mate. I'm, I know Pleasure. you've taken up a great deal of your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we can speak again soon in the near future when we've got some football to talk about. Anytime you like, up the Arsenal. <laughs> Cheers very much, Tom. Thank you. All the best, mate. You too. 